0: Hello friends, I'm your host Chris Thrull, I'm a former Royal Marines Commando, I've adventured, for better and sometimes worse, across 80 countries on all seven continents. Welcome to the Bought the T-Shirt Podcast. Frank, how are you mate? I'm good
1: Chris, thanks for asking, I hope you're well also.
0: yes. Even when I'm not, mate, I don't complain these days. I just shut up and get on
1: with it. (laughs) I do attempt that in all fairness. I do try.
0: (laughs) Yes, I find uh, dwelling on stuff just makes it worse, doesn't it?
1: Yes. My wife describes me as a a bit, actually not a bit complex. She says very complex. Which It's okay when it's positive. It's not too clever when it's negative. (laughs) There you go.
0: Mate, I think we're all a bit complex.
1: Certainly those of us that have got
0: stories to tell. Yeah, yeah. I say that because just trying to chat on the podcast with people. When I get podcasted by other people, I can't just tell a simple story because life isn't simple, is it? No, not at all. And youngsters today, no, no disrespect to our younger friends out there, God bless you but you're very used to having it snappy, little sound bites, bit of energy, bit something flashy. And the, the richness of sort of storytelling and letting it unfold is gone. Yeah. Do you remember the, the two Ronnies? Yeah, of course, yeah. yeah, yeah. And a little Ronnie Corbett used to tell the joke at the end of the show. Sitting in his chair, yeah. Uh, Sitting in his chair and his feet didn't touch the ground because he was tiny. <laughs> And that joke, he would start, and it would go on, and on, and on, and it'd go all around the houses, and then finally, he'd get back to the,
1: to the thing that he started with, yeah. Uh, that's like my life. I think a lot of the things are the stories that that we might tell. You've also had time to reflect on them as well, and if you've uh, if you if you've told them enough times, you can elaborate so much more because there's other things that you remember that you. May not have remembered the first time you told the story, mm. but uh, yeah, I take your point. Yeah, it's uh, funny enough in the um, friends I know in the speaking world, they they don't describe it so much as speaking now as storytelling, because you are actually telling stories, unless you're giving a, you know an actual lecture if you like. but But yeah, very much storytelling.
0: Yeah, I was preparing for a talk the other day with the this the um the event managers you know? <laughs> i think i left them a bit gobsmacked i don't think they would you i don't think they're expecting <laughs> my grungy story um do you think do we mellow with age or do we just change our behavior because we
1: know it ain't the right way Um, I think I started off from a little bit of a Christian uh, background, not in a heavy way, you know, not not necessarily church every week, but certainly from a Sunday school, if you like. Mm. I kind of knew the difference between right and wrong. Uh, I think my mother also did her best to teach me right and wrong, A a certain group of values, if you like. Um, and then, I suppose I suppose as time's gone on, you, it depends where you find yourself, and you know, and you adapt yourself to certain scenarios. In some cases, it's peer pressure. Uh, sometimes it can be respect that's given to you, so therefore you respond to that. Um, I've recently just written an article. It's going to be part of a talk I'm going to do called um, "The Treadmill." And it, it, it very much explains that, that you, uh, once you get on that treadmill, you don't tend to look to the left or the right or behind you. You just keep going. Of course, you don't question how you got on that treadmill. You, you, sometimes it's other people have put you on there. Um, and sometimes maybe you volunteer to put yourself on there. But once you're on there, it's, uh, it, it can be very, very difficult to, to hit the stop button. You know, and when you do, and then you look at where you've been, you you get time to reflect. So yeah, possibly as you as I've got older, it's I think that's what's uh, writing a book. That's that was time for reflection. Even these podcasts. Uh, if I look back to the first one I did with with Sean, for example, I'd never done anything like that before. Um, then I did a second one with him, and then another, and then earlier this year with um, James with James English, and. When are you ever afforded the opportunity to observe yourself? I mean, the police have probably done it enough over the years, but um, but personally, unless you've been in somebody's video or been on their, you know, or on their phone, when have you ever had the opportunity to sit and uh, observe yourself or judge yourself? Um, that was certainly probably my first opportunity. And even in that, say, 18 months, two-year period. It's made me very very conscious of what i say and how i say it and who's going to pick up on that gosh it's hard isn't it on the one
0: hand from the podcaster's perspective i just want to say whatever the frick i want when i want to say it. i've got a stupid sense of humor because i'm ex-military right even even i've realized now even the marines don't don't get all my jokes (laughs) so i think things have changed a bit right and um and it's funny you look at people like joe rogan who's on his show smoking weed and talking about well he's only he only does like um uh what's the word hallucinogenic type of drugs so he's not into like the street drugs you know coke and speed and all that sort of stuff but even so you know he gets away with talking about quite a lot right but he used to talk about even deeper and it's why a lot of us love that show right he used to talk about the moon landing hoax and 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 yeah and things things like the events in New York and this sort of stuff and all the kind of nitty gritty that young people that want to know what's going on in life really appreciate, you know? And then one day, one day when suddenly he found himself with millions of subscribers, all that stopped, you know? Mm -hmm. Might have just been a a chat he had with his missus and said, look, I've got the best show in the world. If I keep on like that, I ain't gonna have it very long, am I love? And she probably would have gone, no Joe, you won't. So cut out the conspiracy stuff and you know talk talk about it. <laughs> I was gonna say talk about shit, but it, it 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 doesn't it
1: does make you wonder, are you right? You're well, right I'm very conscious. I made a comment in um I think it was I think it was during the podcast with James English. And I started to get a bit carried away. I started to kind of resort back to the old me, not not the current me. So I found myself speaking like I would have done 15, 20 years ago, maybe. And I made a comment and I didn't explain it very well. And it must have come across as really cold and really hard. And it's not what I meant. It, it actually was trying to explain, don't go down that same path because this is what you could possibly do. Mm. Um, and I didn't understand, explain the whole circumstances. Damage would have been done to a building, not to human beings. But yeah, got like, yeah. And consequently, what happened, someone who'd seen James's podcast, it formed a Sunday paper um in Belfast so all of us I'm not sure it was a headline but it was certainly in, in a Sunday paper um you know basically saying that I was prepared to throw a hand grenade into uh, into certain buildings so the next podcast I did I had to make that perfectly clear mm-hmm. that there wouldn't have actually been any human beings damaged if you like you know yeah. and that's why I say you've got to be so conscious of what you're saying
0: yeah, the good thing about podcasting, though, especially with someone like Jamesy or Sean, is if you did make a boo-boo, and I just mean, you know, you're chatting. That's what you're doing. You're, you're, yeah. you're chatting like you would to a mate in a pub. Yeah. But but with a podcast, at least you can say to the podcast,
1: look, can you just take that bit out? It's going to cause me aggro. And, and well, up. I didn't even realise. That's, that's, that's half the problem, you see, because I've, I've taken on this different persona. I'd gone back to something I'm now not. So it was almost like dramatic effect. So I can imagine from short, um, James's point of view, that must have been good drama for him. Mm-hmm. He certainly wasn't defending my actions uh, or what I'd said. So I thought, well, once I'd said it, I'd said it. That's it. Um, but I've made sure every opportunity I've had since is, is to make it perfectly clear that's not what I'm... It's not what I'm advocating, you know. Yeah, I've,
0: it, for for our friends at home, listen. The beauty of podcasting is that it's pretty much unedited. It's you know we're not the BBC, right? We're not. <laughs> I, I used to do, or I've done, two and a half hour interviews with the BBC. When it's come out on the radio, it's twenty five seconds. Yeah, that um. is what some someone has sat on the phone with me for two and a half hours with their dictaphone on record and rather than go chris we're only gonna we only need 20 you know they they make out that it's like they want to interview you and da 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 -da, and of course you give them your story and no they just want some soundbite that they can twist into not a lie because you're not lying but that but they will put it in a different wrapper to make what you said something completely you know that's that's um that's why podcasting is so much better than mainstream. media. I think
1: they're not alone in that because I also had an experience once with the uh, with the police, and um, when I was actually you know arrested and charged, etc. And I was asked, um, and I assume the tape was off. I just assume this was an off the cuff comment, you know, remark. And what um, the comment was, oh well, Frank you know what guns are for, don't you? And I said, yeah, they're for shooting people. Now, he could have said to me, you know what a cigarette lighter's for? I was it's lighting a fag. So I was responding to what I thought was an innocent question. Um, but, of course, when that came up at a later stage, it was almost like me saying, I knew what the guns I had were for, were for shooting people. A completely different... Completely different context. So I w- I, w- I learned not to be so uh, so honest, if you like. You yeah. know, I've only had to edit one bit of any all of
0: my hundred odd podcasts out, and it was I'm not going to say who it was, but <laughs> for obvious reasons. But it was one serviceman. And we talked about drinking culture in the military, and he said. Bloody hell, the RAF are like the worst. <laughs> in the Navy or the Marines, you 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 drink a lot, right? Kind of nautical culture, rum and all that, that, you know, all the history and, and stuff and port. He's like, nah, the RAF. Oh. And then he um messaged me and said, Chris, could you just take that bit out? I I'm, I'm gonna get myself in so so <laughs> much trouble, so much trouble at work because he was he was um still in the military. So um, yeah, funny. But uh, let's go back to the be- beginning, then, Frank. What you ended up running guns in Belfast for the mm-hmm. loyalists? Yes. So I'm guessing what organizations like the UVF um, and such. Actually, well, like. the UDA for the yeah for accuracy, it was the UDA yeah. Ulster Defence Association. I, yeah, yeah. Been been a while since I was over there. Yeah. but um but you came up f- through the football um stands didn't didn't you is that
1: yeah I mean I suppose it was one of I, I didn't have any brothers well not till that I was about 19 so we've not really had that you know brotherly relationship if you like um the situation with my with fathers I had a, a father that basically had uh, a, a sort of gone separate from my mother when I was about two and then I had a, a stepfather and it was okay and I'll, I'll give credit where it's due; he did his bit but it just wasn't quite the same if you like um, so I did tend to radiate towards older people uh, and clearly I was quite envious of anyone who you know any mate who had a good relationship with their dad you know, the, the fact they even had a dad. Um, and I suppose, so, you know, when I worked with older people, I'm not so sure that I was consciously looking at them as a father figure, but I was quite heavily influenced, if you like, because you had a sense of security um, and you matured so much quicker because you had to, you know, in, in their company. So... Yeah, so I suppose being in part of a gang culture wasn't too hard to adapt to. It wasn't planned, it, was, it just, in fact, it happened quite accidentally because I was far from a fighter, I was far from a, from a troublemaker. What most kids would get up to in the local community, yes. Yeah, pretty innocuous stuff. Um, but an incident at a football match when I was 14, uh, up in Manchester, Tottenham were playing away to Manchester and I got on my own which was a strange thing to do in the early 70s because you know anywhere up north was pretty tough Pretty, you know you went to Manchester, Liverpool and Newcastle places like that, it, you know it wasn't for the faint hearted, I was so innocent I didn't know that so I got there um, and I got chased back to the station was looked after by some older, some older fellas and then of course went into school on the Monday and everyone said couldn't believe I'd gone to Manchester on my own. Uh, of course, the following week we were at home and I was with some school friends and we were walking up top of my road, walking past the pub. And of course, there were these sort of like 19, 20-year-old skinheads and uh, one of them shouted, "Oh, know, Frank, all right, mate, you know, sort of thing. And of course, my friend said, you know, who are they? Well, then I I'd sort of give it all the big one, didn't I? Well, that's my mate. So I was up in Manchester with him. You know, not I was a scared 14 year old I'm suddenly, uh, you know, I'm suddenly one of the boys. So that that kind of grew, if you like, so to the degree where I did become more familiar with people and in their company. Uh, and I enjoyed the camaraderie. And you, you kind of find out what you're all about as well, because especially, you know, especially if you're up north or, you know, you're somewhere in the Midlands and you're well outnumbered and, uh, you know, I've seen you know bigger men and older men than me have it on their toes. Uh, and that's what a lot of it was about, you know, was you gonna stand or was you gonna run? And uh, I probably had more bottle than sense, but I stood. And um, people recognize that, don't they? So when they see you the next week, they, they kind of acknowledge that and uh, they're happy to have you in their company. and uh, And if, and again, you know, what? The, one of the things it used to be was clearly trying to get into the other team's ends, you know. So if someone said, right, we're going through this turnstile. You took a big camp or came through that turnstile because <laughs> if other people didn't follow you through, you was in trouble. But again, if you did go through, that was remembered. You know, people would comment on that the following week at the home game, you know, back in the pub. So it, it wasn't... Uh, it wasn't something I put any planning into. It just it evolved. And you clearly enjoy it. You clearly enjoy that attention. You clearly enjoy that respect. Uh, and then that, that grew quite a lot. So, uh, yeah, that's how, the, that's how the football kind of thing happened, you know. God, I went all over the, all over Europe with football, you know, pre, even pre-season friendly. Was it, were you, was it
0: always for the tear-up?
1: Or did you enjoy the game as well? No, I did genuinely like football, in all fairness. I played football from a young age, you know, in the street before we had proper football pitches. No, I did have a love for football, you know, and I still do. But it, it certainly filled a void for me, I think, you're saying, not having brothers, you know, cousins. Um, it, it just, it was a safe it was a safe ass for me because there was that camaraderie. There was that, and I think trust, you know, even loyalty. You have to have a certain amount of loyalty to, to follow people to do what they say they're gonna do. Um, and I enjoyed it when it came back to me as well, obviously. So in a way, the football did did pretty much shape me, I suppose. Um, I did make a comment before where I can imagine where some, uh, you know, a group of sociologists or, you know, would say, oh, well, it's quite obvious to me, you know, Frank was violent at the football. And, he couldn't get enough for that. So he became a street activist and got more violent there. And then when that wasn't enough, he decided to draw on the so I get I can see how somebody could write a thesis on that, you know, but it's total nonsense, to be quite honest. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I say the football would probably be the stuff. And again, what, what do you learn when you're a football? In that situation, in that kind of gang situation, um, you don't have to organise people, don't you? You, you? you start to learn about people. There's things you pick up from people. And uh, later on in life, like yeah, I use those skills that I picked up. Yeah. I'd love to have
0: been a footballer again. I tell you, I uh, I was lucky. I was in the Marines, so I was get yeah, yeah I was getting my my fill of being a man mm. there, right. But you look at young young people at that time in Britain. I don't people have young yeah. people, young men have sort of mellowed a bit now, and I don't necessarily know whether that's a good thing or not in fact let, let's just say that's another subject but back then your big hard young guy who wants to get out and make something of his life mm. and you're working in a factory
1: bloody loading boxes all week or you're behind a desk it was your life it was it was very much that and i don't think it was very much the culture of the day that my music played a big part as well um but certainly when I was going, it was just football. Everything was football. Seven days a week you talked about football. You no no sooner one game was over, you was planning for the next one, you know. So yeah, it, it was very much the culture of the day. And, and I think you're right. I, I think there was still a, I think there was still a raw toughness. Uh, and well, you know, you look at it today, we don't we don't have dockers, do we? We, we, don't have, we don't have people working uh, in the mines. No. We don't yeah. have, you know, steel workers, you know, the big, hard, tough men, you know, hard-drinking men. I mean, there's probably quite a few women who are glad they're not around anymore because, it's basically it, they weren't always the gentleman when they got home, you know. Um, so I appreciate that could cause social problems as well. But, yeah, I, I do feel that's kind of passed us by, if you like. Um, and I don't think there's the role models either because you did look up to those people. You did get some kind of guidance from those people, sometimes for good, sometimes, you know, for bad. But you ask, there's certain things from that culture that, that, have, uh, that have stayed with me. And yes, I did, I've, I thoroughly enjoyed it because I enjoyed the camaraderie. I, I, and I enjoyed testing myself, you know, because to go up to Newcastle on a Wednesday night and come home in one piece, sometimes, yeah, was a bit of a challenge. Um, but you got respected if you did, um, but I will qualify this by also saying that I reflect on it now. And if, if one person said to me, it's because of people like you, I stopped going to football because my dad said, I can't go anymore. That wouldn't make me feel particularly good. And there was an incident in, um, in Dublin years ago when England played and there was the riot. And if you remember that at all, and it was very, very violent. And there was a picture of a, of a young boy on the pitch with his dad crying his eyes out. Yeah. And you kind of think, well, hold on, it's not much, there's not much glory in that, is there? You know, so that, that kind of makes me balance it out a little bit now and say, well, I think if it's just you, a group of people, and another group of people. When you're in a back street and you decide to punch the living daylights out of each other, that's between you. Yeah. That's but when it impinges on innocent people. It's not quite so glamorous,
0: if you like. That's the bit where it's an outlet for young men who just need an outlet. I mean, you can't just yeah. work beyond a desk all week and 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 no. do you know drink a pint at the weekend. It don't work like that. But where it become problematic frank was that the disasters wasn't it you know the stadium yeah, yeah exactly heist or whatever was it the wall was Heistel the wall that fell down
1: yeah yeah and then because obviously you had hillsborough as and, well
0: and then hillsborough was unfairly blamed on people mm. um unfairly blamed on 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 football hooligans wasn't it pushing from the back or, or
1: sorry i would actually heard. been in that same end years before when uh, Tottenham had played Wolves in the semi-final of uh, the FA Cup. And if you look at the old footage, you'll see how many people on that occasion had to get onto the pitch and sit around the pitch. So it wasn't as if, uh, you know, it hadn't been flagged up in the past. Uh, There was clearly a problem that day. So it didn't come as a surprise to me when that happened. I just probably wouldn't have expected such, you know, disastrous if you like and the other thing was the weapons wasn't it even down
0: here people started they used to stick two razor blades on the end of a ruler Mm. the idea being it when it cut you that the hospital couldn't because it was a double cut the hospital couldn't sew it up right Mm. and that's just
1: that just takes it down a messy route again doesn't it you know that wasn't particularly, I, I couldn't really subscribe to that to be, I wasn't really into the weapons thing. I mean, I, I, I think I only ever picked a weapon up once and uh, that was at a game and we'd, we'd, we'd come unstuck. We just were too big for our boots. We were at an away game. There was a few of us. We didn't have much respect for the other, you know, the other mob, so to speak, and uh, suddenly became outnumbered and uh, purely by chance there was a house being renovated and there was a skip and a pile of sand. And in the pile of sand was a shovel. So I picked the shovel up. Now, you know, that was more for defensive reasons. It was, I didn't have any idea I was going to be out of a football match that day and using a shovel, you know. And fortunately I didn't have to actually, you know, physically hit anybody with it because the police came and called on and horse, you know, and it, and it, it, disper- it dispersed us. But no, it's not. Um, I, I can remember times, you know, being at football and, um, and someone you know, would, would, would put a knife at And I'd kind of think, well, hold on, mate, what's all, what's all that about? How, how badly did you need to hurt somebody? Why well, can't you just punch somebody? Yeah. You know, it's not something I really approve of the minister.
0: How was it then, Frank? Because I watched all the football fight movies. I'm trying to avoid the word hooligan because that was a real media word, wasn't it? But I watched all the films and it just seems to be young lads who just want to get stuck in and have a go. They don't, they
1: don't seem particularly skilled in the art of fighting. Was... No, no, not to, no. And um, I, I knew plenty of fellas who probably, you know, a straight one to one would have would probably beaten me. You know, I make no bones about that. But whether they had as much bottle as me was a, was a, was another story. Um, so yeah, you could you know you could get you could attack another crowd of fellas, and they could attack you. But clearly, why you're punching one fellow and he's punching you, someone's punching you from the side. Someone's punching you. Someone's someone's kicking you. And in the days when it was literally hundreds onto hundreds you know, you you didn't know where the next punch was going to come to, but that's what it was about. It was whether you stood there and accepted if you were going to get a clump, well, you know, the other geezer was going to get a clump and that was it. So me, that was fair. That was fair. And as I say, the introduction of weapons wasn't really, you know, wasn't my cup of tea, to be honest. When you see the Bruce Lee movies and he's got,
0: he's taken on 30 ninja assassins, <laughs> right? I know ninjas are from Japan before anyone tries to correct me. But when you see that fight scene, you think that wouldn't happen. One guy would just grab him around the head and, every, <laughs> and
1: everyone would just jump on. I think I've only ever seen one. I think I've only ever seen part of one Rambo film. And I remember him standing in the village. He's completely surrounded by people with machine guns. Or maybe they're just ordinary guns, or whatever, maybe not machine guns. And they all fire at him. And not one of these bullets hit him. So I say to myself, well, where have these bullets gone then? So if you're in a circle and you're shooting inwards and you're missing him, surely you're shooting each other. But not one bullet hit him. So I take your point. <laughs> yeah.
0: So you're young, lads. Saturday's come around. It's yeah. ma- It's match day. You're either at home or away. You're jumping on the train.
1: Is everyone grabbing like tinnies from, from the offie and... Well, yeah, normally, yeah, normally. I mean, there's times I've travelled by car because obviously the police were getting wise to what people were doing. We we got to a stage where we'd organise our own coaches, uh, so you could come into a town or a city for a different route, not necessarily the one the police had planned for. Um, yeah, so there was, a, you know, there was a certain. I mean, not so much in the '70s. I would say it was it was a little bit more ad hoc in the you know in, in the '70s, but. Certainly when you started getting into the 80s and the 90s, yeah, it became more, it did become more organised. And uh, I think that's when people kind of got more uh, recognised people that did have those kind of leadership skills, if you like. And basically, what it boils down. If certain people were going, more people would go because they had more confidence because they knew that if those people went, they weren't going to run. They, you know, they, I could say it goes back to the, to the standing bit again, you know, and um, but yeah, you know, look, some football fans have different experiences, don't they? I mean, in hindsight now, you know, yeah, it probably would have been nice to go to another club's, you know, social club, you know, stand and a drink with them, have a chat. That wasn't the culture at the time. It wasn't that at all. Um, looking back, I mean, I'd say it, that maybe that would have been a nice thing to do, but, but it wasn't at the time, you know. What was your club, mate? Tottenham. I was a Tottenham fan. Tottenham. Remind us what what's what's their gang called? Well, funny enough, you, you used to be known back in the seventies by whatever part of the ground that you that you stood in. So you know, our, our popular end of the ground was the Park Lane. Uh, so we were therefore we were the Park Lane end, you know. Yeah. And in, um and when it became less gangs or mobs, as we would call it, it suddenly adopted the title of firms, And then the names got more elaborate. So, you know, you'd have, you know, Chelsea, Headhunters, and you know, Millwater Bushwhackers, and West Ham ICF, you know, the Booners had more than a, you know, a couple of names they had um, heard, and so on. And then for some reason, Tottenham started calling themselves the Yids. And uh, that goes back to all the years where uh, we were taunted because of the Jewish support that we did have, which was ironic because Arsenal made exactly the same amount. West Ham have got more than enough Jewish fans, uh, but that was the t- that was the term they used to use against us. Mm. So it kind of got turned on its head, and people started saying, "Well, that's what they're going to call us. That's what we'll what will you know we'll call ourselves." It's not. <laughs> Personally, I think he lacks imagination. I think we could have thought of something a little bit more than you know, a little bit more scary or a little bit more intimidating than that. But that's the one that's that's the one that's that's stuck. Yeah, and what
0: and when the drugs came in, that must have added a load more excitement to it as well, because everyone everyone likes the knees up.
1: Yeah, I mean the casual scene is that my my generation so. If I started again in the late 60s, and then I grew up, I sort of went through the 70s. So our uniform, if you like, uh, the, the group of fellas I was with, we wore donkey jackets, you know, council donkey jackets, inexpensive, you know, cost you nothing if, you, if you're the right people. So, if, you, if you're having a tear up, you're rolling around on the floor, you're not going to be worrying about a donkey jacket. You go and get another one next week, or if someone cut it or, or whatever. Well, of course, in the 80s and the 90s, when the casual scene came in, people were very conscious, weren't they, about how they looked. Um, and to some people, the look was more important than anything else. And then the music came in. Well, I was really too old for that. I, was, I, I think I was a little bit too old for that. Um, I was more chats and Dave, if you like. Uh, I certainly wasn't into uh, raves and, you know, warehouse things and, and so on like that. And cause, and I don't touch drugs. I don't touch drugs. So it's not really for me. It's not really for me. Um, but, I, but I did like a drink. Yeah, I did like a drink, you know. So as, as much as I tried to stay as clear-headed as I could, I did like a drink. There's no, there's mm-hmm. no doubt about that. But... Um, no, it's not really, it's not, that that culture kind of passed me by and, and there was a time when I was, I was out of the way as well because I'd gone to prison. So again, I wasn't really caught up in it. So when I came out and people were talking about certain things, I was a little bit, well, what's all that about? Mm-hmm. You know, because I hadn't experienced it. But because I don't do the drugs, I probably wouldn't have experienced it anyway, you know? Yeah. Tottenham got a new ground now, haven't they? Yeah, it's quite impressive. I've been over there a few times now. Yeah, it's it's, it's very impressive. But their old ground was that was pretty spectacular as well, wasn't it? Well, one side of it, what they used to call the shelf, you know, that that, that was quite a, you know, that was quite a nice bit of architecture. To be quite honest, with you. you know, you got you got a good atmosphere from it. It's just it was the capacity was only thirty six thousand. Well, originally, I mean, you could get, I mean, I think something like seventy thousand years ago, before all the seats went in, you know. And then the capacity was only 36,000, whereas now it's something like 62. Um, But, yeah, yeah, special nights, you know. They played European games. There always was a special atmosphere. There's no doubt about that. Even if there weren't any away fans, it was just those, the thought of playing somebody else, you know, from another country. Um, Very vocal. People were very vocal. They used to really enjoy it. Um, But this this stadium that is a different, it's completely a different world. You know, the facilities that they've got at the stadium, um, you can see they've modelled it very much on America. You can see it's very much, don't be in the local pubs or kebab houses, you know, come into the stadium two or three hours before the game or a couple of hours before the game, come and eat here, come and drink here, you know, come and buy your merchandise here, not off the poor bloke down the road who's trying to earn a living, you know, setting scars. um yeah, it's very much based on that like America where they they want you to come into the stadium and plus they stay open afterwards as well for a while, and they have bands playing and um they'll keep the bar open, so uh, yeah, it's a big money making machine mm. That's cool.
0: I feel fortunate i went I think I've been to White Hart Lane once, maybe twice. Um yeah, a bit of history there. <laughs> mm. Mm. Reminds me of was
1: it Ozzy Ardilis? Yeah, yeah. I actually I actually went to his first game for Tottenham. Wow. We're showing our age now, Frank. I and mean, people always say, people always say, yeah, I remember it, Nottingham Forest the way it was one on. And I say that was not his first game. Him and Ricky Villa's first game was actually in Belgium. And they played Royal Antwerp. Uh, uh, I was in a pub where I live, and a mate said it was a Sunday night, and he said, Frankie, what are you doing tomorrow? So we'll probably the same as on Thursday night standing having a drink with you, Bill. And he said, Come on, let's go over at the let's go over to Belgium. I said, Bill, I've never been out of England. or well, probably the UK. Never certainly never had a passport, never been on a boat. And uh, we went down the post office and got uh, a yearly passport. That don't know if you remember that. <laughs> I used to get a bit of cardboard. If you put your photo on it, and it was a yearly passport. And before mm. I knew it, I was on a disco boat over to, to uh, Antwerp and uh, Tottenham 131. And I thought we were coming home, and uh, one of the boys said, no, 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 they're playing in Holland tomorrow. or the day after tomorrow, they're playing in Venlo, which the army people know well because it's... There's an army base in Venlo on the Dutch-German border. So at the I'd never been out of the country, I'd suddenly been to Belgium and now I landed up in Holland as well. So uh, but that was that was technically their the first game.
0: Yeah. you lucky you didn't end up in Amsterdam. That would have
1: uh... <laughs> Oh, I've got some no, I've had more than enough tear-ups in Amsterdam, thank you very much. And and as for Venlo, I don't know who's in charge of the army in Venlo, but whoever was. Uh, his idea of giving all the army boys the day off so that they could go to the match was not a good idea because, you know, when a couple of hundred Cockneys turn up in a town, they're not expecting to see blokes sitting at the bar, outside bars, in Newcastle shirts, Liverpool shirts, Manchester United shirts. (laughs) So we spent more time fighting with the British army than what we did with the you know, with the Venlo fans, if you like. And it wasn't intentional, you know. But it was the fact that, you know, well, they're United, they're new, you know, we just landed having a tear-up. Movement, you
0: know? Yeah, and that's the thing that goes with being in the forces. Generally, wherever you go, the local heroes don't don't like you. <laughs> and quite often, you're because of your behaviour, they're quite right not to like you, you know.
1: Um, yeah. We've certainly been a few. Yeah, Amsterdam. We was in a, We was in a Amsterdam. Well, I think it was. A, it was for a cup match, or it might have even been a, one of the pre-season tournaments we played. And um, you've got two distinct areas there, and one is very much run by the South Moluccans. and then there's another. There's another group called the uh, Surimanese. So they, they sort of got their own distinct areas, and obviously where the you know the red light districts, and obviously where you know you go and get your drugs and so on and um, the local Dutch fellas tend not to mix with them. You know, they tend to stay away. Well, cops, we didn't care when we got there. You know, we drank as much as we could and you know, had a good old time. And um, when it came to the evening, well, it just, it it kicked off big time. And um, the irony is that for the first time I've seen this, is that the police were on our side and that, that does happen very often. <laughs> the local police basically was saying to us, you know, no one's ever come here before and taken the liberty like you've just taken with them, you know. Mm. But uh, I know friends of mine that will remember like, you know, someone getting, you know, someone had an axe, someone had a shotgun. It was pretty uh, you know, pretty airy stuff. People were getting thrown in the canals and yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a mad time. But it's the only time I remember a, police officers actually congratulating us you know but there you
0: go mm. and
1: i remember um
0: so ricky ricky v isn't it ricky and yeah, Ricky
1: Villa.
0: Yeah. And deal is when the falklands kicked off yeah that was awkward yeah. everyone was
1: calling for their blood weren't they yeah, that was that was very awkward. That I mean, I know they they went off the scene, didn't they? They got out of the way there, ah. which I suppose under the you know the circus. E, e, even
0: then, I can remember thinking this shouldn't affect sport. <laughs> you know, it's not yeah. not their fault, is
1: it? They're... Well, not when you're thrown into something like that. I mean, as long as they didn't make, I think as long as they didn't make any unnecessary comments, you know, which um, yeah. to my mind they didn't. One, uh, well, but to my memory, I don't remember ever saying anything. You know, in fact, I think they dealt with it quite well. To be honest, I think that's why the respect for them continued. You know? Yeah. So, you mentioned being in the neck was. was
0: did that interrupt your football uh, violence
1: career? I think I, I think what tended to happen was was when I became more committed to the loyalist cause, if you like. Um Although in the early days, I, used, I did use football as a vehicle, there's no doubt about that, you know, I did collect money for lawless prisoners, I did sell magazines, badges, etc. Um, oh, so in that sense, you know, I was, um, I was organising people, I was recruiting people, if you like, very low-key, in a low-key way, if you know. But
0: How did you get sold on the, on the cause then, if, if if you're
1: English? It was it was one of funny enough someone said to me the other day and I said well Countess Markovitz who so, you know well, she wasn't very Irish and uh, she's a, you know she's a hero to the Irish Republican movement and uh, but uh, that was going back to the days of the uh, you know the uprising in, in Dublin you know um, but it was a, it's a strange path because in my early teens I was a young socialist for a while. And I, but I didn't know that the particularly young socialists were actually part of the Workers' Revolutionary Party. Uh, and they were, very, they were very, very middle class. And I didn't, I couldn't, I wasn't very really comfortable with them, to be honest. But for people that were so concerned about the working class, I couldn't really identify with them. It wasn't my version of being working class, if you like. Mm. You know, they were more sort of like Hampstead, belsize Park. Uh, I'm, I'm Kentish Town, Camden Town, Somers Town. You know, very, very working class. So I couldn't really ident- identify with that. Some of their terminology go straight over my head, to be honest. Um, and, and clearly, they had a they had an international view of the world. So they were concerned about the students and the workers and so on, uh, in a in international context. Well, I was more worried about the bloke down the road. Hmm. You know, our own our own workers, if you like, our own. Workers' conditions and, and, and clearly are unemployed. So there was a bit of a clash. I just wasn't aware of it, so certainly not at the beginning. And uh, I, I think what did it for me was I, I've rephrased it. Now, I wouldn't say they were necessarily pro IRA or necessarily supporting the actions of the IRA, but they were certainly supporting the, the concept of United Ireland. Um, And I didn't really understand that. Most of the fellows I grew up with were Irish, you know, living in Camden, we're a big big Irish community. So I I was quite naive. I didn't really understand that. But eventually I left that that side of the the politics. And then my mates made it perfectly clear Frank's the politics of the football, you know, which is it. So I went back to the football. Um, And anyhow, one night I was talking to somebody, and of course he was right (laughs) wing. Didn't really know the difference between them, you know, right and left anyway. Um, but he he invited me. Bottom line is, he invited me to a National Front meeting, and uh, and there were clearly more working class people there, and I, and I I could identify with them. Mm. And um, this is where that this is where the bit I want you know I'll get onto about the addictive nature. Uh, I could have predicted then I'd have landed up running my local branch the same kind of leadership skills you'd adopted at the football soon started to kick in this is national front now yeah yeah it started it, it very much kicked in and what it was was because they clearly opened up a, a very patriotic side of me that I didn't really know that I'd had you know um so that was it i was very much a, i was very much a british nationalist so the Northern Ireland situation, uh, to me, had nothing to do with religion. It was just one of one part of that community wanted to remain British, um, and and equally, I recognised that the larger part of that island wanted to be independent and distinctly Irish, uh, and run their affairs. So for me, it was quite simple. I thought, well, you know, I, I can respect. Your side of it. Why can't you respect this side of it? Why has it got to, you know? Why has it got to be violence and so on? And then it's by association. You meet people. You meet people from there, and then it becomes more personal because friends of people that you know, or relations of people that you know, are either killed or they become imprisoned, uh, or they live in a they live in an interface area that's attacked on a regular basis, and. I think we've all got a cyclist where we care about people and when given the opportunity to help people that, you know, that most people would. And, um, I felt I could, you know, I could help people. And because there was this kind of, i I only recognise this in recent years. This isn't something I was aware of at the time. This is where I sit you looking at the podcast and studying myself and, and writing the book. You know, when you start putting yourself into words and then you read back over, you think, is that me? Ed, why did I do that? Or, or whatever. And um, so I wasn't aware of it at the time, but there's clearly been a pattern, you know. And once I get involved with something, that's it. It's, it's, it's that treadmill story I was telling you. Once I'm on that treadmill, I see nothing else. It's, that, that's the task. And, of course, once people give you respect, once people give you responsibility, you, 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 you feel you've got to fulfill that. You don't want to let people down. And what, what I've also recognized is you lose yourself. You forget all about you. You don't see you. You don't identify you. You identify the position that people have put you in. Mm. Um, and you know, if you don't fulfill that position, you're letting all those people down. But somewhere along the way, over the years, you've kind of lost you. You're not really sure what you're all about and um i said it i said it some a little while ago that any creativity that you may have had over that period of time you've not used you've not you've not you not used it to your benefit because you've been so focused yeah on 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 some on something else look don't get me wrong um Some of the comments that have been made to me over the year, you know, you you can call them accolades if you like, the respect that's been shown, the trust and so on. Um, I wouldn't necessarily change that. And I would say that there's certainly been a certain amount of kudos involved. um, And that's easy to get carried away with if you're not responsible. You also have to take into account that at different times you've, You've been in a position where it's it's life and death. You know, you you could have had somebody shot. You know, or you could you could have had somebody kneecapped. What well, I like to think I've acted responsibly, and I've not used that. You know, I've not um, used that position to kind of exert my power, uh, but just discipline within the group, if you like. Um. But yeah, you definitely. You definitely lose sight of yourself. And but say between the writing the book and the podcast and having conversations with people, you 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 get a better understanding of yourself. Mm. So you could quite possibly go back to Sean's podcast that I did. It wouldn't necessarily be the same podcast now, because I've had all that time to study me and observe myself, question myself and say well now that you've identified all of this what are you going to do about it you know mm. but i was very dedicated because i'm not making any excuses that that that's something i'm very 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 clear about uh,
0: just during um it, it sounds like i'm listening to myself frank if i was honest um i'm just going to throw a few things out here just for people at home to to they can get, they can try and make sense of this but you know we're young we operate out of our ego you come from a background where there's been insecurity in your family which clearly you you've experienced and i have you're looking for this hope this um mysterious home that's going to come and take care of you give you a sense of worth give you this importance that maybe that we you know we didn't have growing up when you find that family you are going to fight fight for them you're going to be loyal loyal to them right it's not an interpretation to be honest yeah, yeah you know I'm, I'm i've always been fiercely loyal and i still am right um you'd have to do pretty bad things to like lose me as a mate do you know do you know what i mean because i i think anyway and the tunnel that the, you call it being on the treadmill I think when you've got this imbalance in your history, or certainly, I'm obviously talking about myself now, you, you get your sights on something that makes sense to you. And because of this big black hole in your life, you, you somehow can justify everything that you're doing. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong,
1: don't get me wrong. I believed in what I was doing. So
0: there's can no you, can I give an example, Frank? So just again no. for, for our friends at home so they so they, they know what where I'm going with this. It's it's just like when I was involved in crime, I could justify it, Frank, because to me I've had hard life. Well fuck everyone else, you know. Where 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 were you when this happened to me? Where were you? And and you use that kind of very um selfish misguided naive logic mm. um, does that ring a bell with your story <laughs> i just I, I
1: think some of it yes yeah, some of it doesn't clearly identify but also there was that there was that care inside as well so so for example if you're convincing yourself that you're fighting a noble cause on behalf of other people You've given yourself the excuse to do whatever you want. You see, so that's where I say I'd like to think that I did that in a fairly responsible manner. But when look, I'm quite fortunate, conscience-wise, as far as I mean, as far as I'm aware, I haven't taken anybody's life. I'm not sure now if I had what state of mind I'd be in, right? If you, if you take me back a certain amount of years and ask me was I prepared to, then 100% yes. There's, 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 I'm not going to make excuses. I clearly would have done. And I've also made it perfectly clear to people that if I'd have lived in Belfast, I've got absolutely no doubt I'd have been dead or doing a life sentence. That, that, that's as clear as day to me, that. Um, and I think when you're when on your first open visit, so you're still category A and you're still on remand. But the first time you're not behind a screen, you can actually sit opposite your wife and you say to your wife, I'm glad I got caught. And she's shocked, isn't she? You know, she said, what do you mean you're glad you got caught? And uh, and I said, where on earth did you think this was going? Yeah. You couldn't, you couldn't be in my position. You, you couldn't have guns wrapped around you and this not in badly. You know, so... You know, from that point on, I didn't necessarily, I didn't necessarily change, but it gave me a, a wake-up call. It gave me a wake-up call. Saying that throughout the whole of the sentence, I was still of the same mindset. In fact, if anything, to get me through the sentence, I was probably even worse. I was probably more militant in my head to get me through that. I haven't reminded myself of well, what got you here you know your lawyer got you here you know um so that kind of got me through and, but of course when I got out when I got out I was still in the same mindset where so did you do your time rehabilitation had gone bad, certainly hadn't worked mm. but because there was no in an offense there was no attempt at rehabilitation no one ever spoke to me about the offense um and when I came out, I think there might have been people that thought, oh, that's it, he's done his bit. He's, and it, 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 that wasn't the case at all. And, and I wasn't a great supporter of the of the peace process. I, I didn't trust the IRA. I didn't trust human Fein. Uh, I didn't trust our own politicians. Uh, and equally, when I went to Northern Ireland, I could see lots of areas that were still being terrorised, you know, the face communities and so on. Mm. So I was in no mood for peace. There's, there's, there's no doubt about that. In fact, within a couple of months of coming out and going over to Northern Ireland, I was, I was at a social event, and on the night I was there, the bomb went off in, in Docklands, I think it was the 9th of 9th of February, 1996. And a chap turned to me and said, "Oh Frank, this isn't good for the peace process." And I said, "Fuck the peace process. A bomb's just going to be in my city." Mm. So I clearly still had that militant had that militant head about me, you know. How
0: did you what what did you end up in a nick for the first time round?
1: I'd only been in prison once.
0: No, I've never been in prison once. Sorry, I'm not... sorry. I, I meant the first time you were you were having dealings in Belfast and you ended up in prison. What
1: what was it for? It was I got caught in Birmingham with a bag of guns. I had um, I had seven um, guns in a bag. And uh, afterwards, they retrieved the rifle as well. Um, so the charge was possession of uh, possession of weapons and uh, supply. I think it was supplying persons unknown with intent to endanger the lives of, of persons unknown. Yeah, that was the that was the charges.
0: So, at what point were you starting to get a bit radicalized with mm. the court with the with the, the the loyalist cause? Yeah, did did you start to step over the mark and, or, you, do you know what I mean, start breaking the law and
1: putting your liberty at risk? What, what did, was, I think what started, what, what, what started to happen was there would, be, there would be incidents in London where there'd been a bomb, or it might have been someone, might have been an attempted assassination or whatever it be. A few weeks later, there would be a Republican march in London. So, for example, in January, you'd have the troops out movement. In August, so that would, yeah, that would be the Troops out movement. In August, you would have the Irish Freedom Movement, would have their anti-internment march up in Holloway Road. Mm-hmm. So what started off as opposition to those parades. So by that, I mean physically trying to attack those parades. I kind of got the realisation, well, hold on, hold on. It's not exactly equal, is it? We're throwing a few punches. They're blowing us up. So, over a course of time, it was well, what we're we going to do about it, how we're we going to go about it. You know, we had no roots there, we had no connections with uh, with any paramilitary organisation. Um, but we made contact with somebody that was a conduit to people in, in Belfast, and eventually we we made a meet with the, the appropriate person in London who represented, you know, the Ulster Defence Association. And without making it too long to that story, we were, we were far down impressive in basically. Mm. And um, over a course of time, my own group of associates, friends, said, you know, you should be in charge. And we went around the country and we met other people. And unfortunately, I was even less impressed with some of those. Um, I didn't really identify them as, well, I, my perception of a paramilitary organisation. So, not meaning to sound it in a mocking way, it was I'd, I'd kind of say, well, um, you know, so what, why have you not done anything up to now? If you've been around for so many years, why have I never heard you've ever done anything? Yeah, but you can't go and tread on people's toes straight away. can you? You've got to kind of ingratiate yourself, and, and that's what happened over a course of time. We made it perfectly clear that if we were going to be part of that organisation, that we were going to we were going to require weapons, um, so and we were of other people, we intended to use them as well. You know. So where did you get the weapons from? Well, living in London, it's not hard, is it? To be perfectly honest, you—you, you, you, you know—I've grown up and known enough people. I've known enough villains over the years. Mm. Um, you know, I've even—I've even had Yardies offer me weapons before now. You know, it, it's not that—it's not that difficult. Um, and where, where, where will they? Excuse my naivety,
0: but. I can imagine, you know, getting the odd shotgun or pistol that's been handed down probably five or six times. But yeah. did you have sort of like AKs coming
1: in from China or or No, what happened was I'm glad you I'm glad you said that because this is how we identified that somebody was who was then gonna take over from the person we, we had no faith in. Mm. Uh, he couldn't wait to take over that position. And we, we, we very quickly realized that. And we suspected he wasn't quite what he was making out, he was, you know, he was. And on on one particular evening, uh, uh, a friend bought a a catalog almost of of weapons that we could get via the army. And um, he flipped through the pages and was saying to me, you know, know, we can have this, we can have that. And this fellow went, yeah, good work, good work, speak to Frank. And another friend said, hold on, mate, you're supposed to be in charge. If we take a dive, you take a dive. And we could see he never had the art for it. He wanted the position. He, we could see he, he, he just he wasn't the, the genuine article as far as we were concerned so again that elevated me to the front so now i've got a responsibility now haven't i so in order to do that i'm encouraging these people to be militant now they put me in charge so i've got to be twice as militant because i'm there now i'm now I'm leading them and uh there was an incident where we were actually offered—we uh, were offered hand grenades, and we had a disused quarry where we could. Where we suggested to this chap, look, we want at least one. You know, we need—you can't throw one once, can't you? You know, you can't use it again. And he was a bit standoffish, this fella. He was a bit standoffish. We couldn't understand it because there was a lot of money involved—a lot of money. And uh, one day, one of our chaps was followed. And all of a sudden, this bloke was too helpful. I'll take as many as you like, you know, within reason. we thought there's something wrong here. And uh, we, we called it off, basically. And uh, a few years later, when I was being questioned by military intelligence, they brought the subject to an And that goes back to the story where I said I would have gone into somewhere and I'd have, you know, that's our. Mm. Committed, if you want to call it, dedicated, if you want to call it, I would have gone into certain establishments and I'd have had no qualms about a friend of Of course, as I said it, I hadn't done the explanation, bit, there wasn't actually going to be anybody in the club, you know. Um, So, yeah, there was access to some pretty naughty stuff, if I'm honest. And this is where the state plays its part as well. What I did get caught with, although was quite capable of of killing somebody, it wasn't the most sophisticated, you know. The only is the more sophisticated stuff that we could have got, but we wouldn't have necessarily been able to afford the purchase ourselves. We would need that from elsewhere. That once you declared how militant you were, well, of course, you had to trust whoever you were telling elsewhere. Big mistake. Big, big mistake. Because as as, as we all know now, the, the Republican movement was absolutely riddled with informers, and, and, and so was the loyalist movement. So people you respected and you trusted because you thought, well, for them to be in the position that they're in, their men must trust them, mustn't they? And they've got the power and life of the F over people as well. So they must be important, these people. So I can talk to these people or this individual person. Of course, you find out down the line, they've been working for the IUC or special branch or military intelligence. So you suddenly realise some of the things you were planning on doing, why they never happened, Because no sooner you'd have the conversation with somebody, they'd gone and told their anger.
0: Yeah.
1: Now in hindsight, that's in hindsight, that's kept me out of prison, isn't it? That's kept me out of prison a lot longer. So in some respects, I think, well, that's worked in my it's worked in my favour. But when you've been planning on doing things for a, for quite some time, somebody comes over and suddenly says, Oh listen, we've got we've got a sympathetic officer and he's told us he's been talking to special grants on the mainland. You boys are being observed they know what you're doing, you know, go and play at politics for six months. When you've got your adrenaline up, when you've been planning to do certain things, you know, it's, it's a bit demoralising. So in hindsight, we shouldn't have been so open about what our plans were, to be honest. And it was quite extreme. I mean, you know, we had certain targets which would have, you wouldn't have got 20 years, you'd have got 40 years probably, you know. Mm. -hmm.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I think what a lot of people don't consider as well, if you look at the troubles, uh, talking, you know, both sides of the water, bombs going off. Let's say, let's just say a thousand bombs went off, a thousand IEDs or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think we'd have to be pretty naive to not factor in how many were set off by like British special you know, British Secret Service for their own political aims or to steer the course of the you know everyone seems to think it's quite cut, you know, it was cut and dry, but
1: I think the thing is I think the thing is now, I mean we are we had an incident one night where we were um, we set up a group where we were going to communities, various communities, and we started to talk to people. And, and actually asked what they wanted, not what we perceived that they wanted. And uh, we had an incident one night where uh, um, we sat around with a group of women in a community center. And one woman was describing how she lived in like a bungalow and she couldn't distinguish between whether it was a brick in her roof or a petrol pump. We suddenly realized she was blind, which must've been even more terrifying. And uh, there were grown men who had tears in their eyes. There's no, there's no making excuses to go to the toilet. And uh, I've said before, when men show their emotions like that, they don't like it. So they tend to go the other way. They tend to go, "Fucking know what we're gonna do? We've got to real this woman, come on, we've got to be, you know. Um, again, you soon realize, going down the road and shooting someone, that's not solving their problem, is it? You know, gonna put a bomb somewhere, is not solving their problem, is it? So what's the best thing to do? It's empower these people. In some way, you know, um let's improve their conditions. You know, if you're getting petrol bombs, well let's make sure they've got fire extinguishers or fire blankets, you know. They wouldn't leave their estate because if they left their estate, they'd get attacked. So we had a function and raise money for a like a 40-foot um container and it was converted into a shop. So my mindset suddenly was hold on, you can still be that caring helping person. You, 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 there's another way of doing it. There's another way of doing it. So we we started to go around various communities. We we raised money for a school bus. The school potentially could have shut down because it it wasn't getting enough pupils coming from another area. They couldn't afford the mini bus, so we raised money for the mini. So yeah, I became doing more community work. I started, and I, and I, and I've got a lot of pleasure out of it. But it, it was still that little bit of militancy there. Um, but thankfully, over the years the need for that became less necessary.
0: Mm.
1: And also the fact you, <laughs> you didn't trust people like you did before either. So you, 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 to, you sort of came back you know, amongst your own and was quite content amongst mm. your own, if you like. Um, but, uh, but somebody that wasn't necessarily for the peace process at the time when you know, most people were subscribing to it. I am a supporter of it now. It's not ideal, I don't think it's perfect. Um, but the fact people aren't going to prison anymore and, uh, you know, you're they go to go to the graveyards and bury people, which I think the younger son has got a bit of a romantic view of it. You know, they look back on it. They might want to be like their brother was or their uncle or their dad or their granddad. You know, I, I get it. I do kind of get it it's people who wish they was around in the days of football hooligans. people wish they were around in the days of mods and rockers you know it's all right being nostalgic about it but this was far more far more dangerous and far more sinister you know mm. um and and, and it, it it's not nice it's, it's just not nice and, and it turns you into someone who you look back and you start you know criticizing yourself in some way analyzing yourself certainly you think, would I have done that? Would I have been capable of that? And of course, it's difficult for me to call somebody else. Well, they were terrorists. We were freedom fighters. They were terrorists. I'd have done the same as them, probably. Maybe not some of the more what's up, some of the things they did, I thought was a little bit too grotesque, to be honest. But was I any different? You know, and, and and as someone very well respected, he's no longer what was would say, you know. No side was exclusively right. None was exclusively wrong. So I I kind of, that is kind of my mentoring. I don't claim to be totally right. And I I wasn't totally wrong. Mm. Can we just talk a bit nitty gritty,
0: Frank? Um, Sure. how, how How much time did you spend in Belfast were you, were you there years or oh, regularly I was there quite on a quite a regular yeah. basis yeah we can ask we, without obviously getting yourself or anyone in trouble what what sort of area was Tiger Ty,
1: Ty, Bay was a Protestant area wasn't it yeah Tigers Bay I know I knew Tigers Bay the first place I ever went to in the, the mid-80s was, was uh, Lisbon which was just south it's just south. Lisbon, yeah Sh- uh, Sh-
0: Shankill Shankil was, Shankil
1: was west. That, that's, that's West Belfast. West Belfast Shankill Road. The year I was there was when there was a fun run. The army did a fun run in Lisbon, and there was a bomb under a vehicle. Um, yeah, that was, that was that was that wasn't a nice occasion at all. And I, I was actually over there that year when it
0: happened. Yeah, that doesn't sound like fun. A fun run, does it? No, not at all. <laughs> Most areas, over a course
1: of time. Um, what years What years were you there, mate? Mid-80s was the first time I went. Mid-80s yeah. was the first time I went. Had the,
0: had the Gibraltar Three been shot by then? No,
1: no, that came after.
0: That was about 87-ish, wasn't it?
1: That, that was just after. I was going just before then, yeah.
0: Yeah. Gosh, I'm just trying to gauge, because I was there in, what, 80, 89? Mm. of similar
1: time and well I was going from the mid 80s up until 90 well until I was arrested 93 May May 93 what sort of atrocities did you see during your time there? what acts I I saw the aftermath you know mainly it was the aftermath the feeling of people uh, the loss of some people clearly the anger of, of, of people as well you know um, It's strange because the first time I did go, I went with somebody else, and many people have said this since after they've been the first time. I think you're overwhelmed by the sense of Britishness that they are so proud to be British. They're so proud of their their history. That you know, particularly the Somme and you know the First World War. Uh, they are ultra proud to be British. Well, yeah, of course, i would met people back in, in London who were proud to be British, and uh, myself to a certain degree, but not like this, you know, and I've never seen so many union flags in my life. So it was very welcoming. People were very, very friendly. They loved the, the fact that you'd come from London and to spend time with them. Um, yeah, it was quite easy to fall into, to be honest. and I've you know I've had friendships from from that first trip that are still here today you know I've stopped
0: a guy in the Ardoin right and he's driving a like an old Cortina or Sierra or something and I said can I you you stop him and he he winds his window down so can I have a word mate yeah sure mate and he's from London somewhere right and we're chatting, and this guy's like oozing Cockney friendship. You, you know, just it's all good. It's well, you don't live in Yardoyne as an Englishman. No, 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 no. You're out in Green, which is kind of like part yeah, of but, without having some serious connections. And I think he was yeah. married to one of the top players'
1: sisters, oh, okay. oh, right.
0: okay. sisters or something, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and so when we pee checked him afterwards, or when I P- P checked him while 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 he was stopped there, it, it it comes over, yeah, you know, affirmative. So this is a IRA player, yeah. and of course by that they, I guess a lot of people are just affiliated, aren't they? They're affiliated. They're not actually soldiers or whatever.
1: Um, we used to get stopped sometimes. We'd be, you know, we'd be in a, a taxi, we'd be in a cab, and the army would stop us. Of course, they'd get a shot because sometimes. Uh, the soldier would be from London, you know. Yeah. So they're not expecting to have the window wound down and we go, all right, mate. And all of a sudden the soldier what the fuck are you boys doing over here? Like, I've got to be here, you know, I'm in the army. I'm you know, I'm doing my service. What the fuck are you doing over here like, you know? So yeah, we had some uh, we had some some fun experiences. Were you there when the signallers were executed? I wasn't physically there, no, but I remember the day we we've discussed. Quite oh God, that was just woods, woods and Howes, wasn't it? Woods,
0: woods and Howes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah just very uh,
1: bad period that was. That that those 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 few weeks were uh, were were a very very uncomfortable time for everybody, I think, because uh, the gloves were off, weren't they? The, the gloves were off. That's what well, we we were doing our pre-island build up and
0: when we were doing it so for people listening before you go on a tour a operational tour you do your training and it's called build up um obviously you do it in all areas of what you're expected to go and fight or, or be involved in so yeah. shooting first aid um a little bit about culture but to be honest it wasn't really very well <laughs> we weren't really too interested in 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 that and uh used to get these sheets terrorist recognition sheets or we call them players right mm. um did you call them montages they might well have been uh they basically is an a4 sheet and it had about the passport oh. passport size photos and it had oh. about 30 okay. on there and you had these sheets and you had to mem- memorize them Another thing again I had a photographic memory so when we had finally got over the water I could I spotted everyone yeah just as if as if I'd known them all my life you know I'd see someone in a car on the other side of the road you know at traffic lights or whatever and I just but I'm getting off the subject so we're doing this build up and one of the boys goes here look at this and he had a tabloid newspaper and he opened the the spread and it was the picture from the helicopter mm. down onto that um again for friends listening
1: was it corporal house and i think they were both corporals weren't they yeah well, i remember it was woods and house Corpor- yeah corporal woods and corporal house i think it was
0: um i'm not sure whether they were intelligence or were they were signals intelligence i think they were signalers but signals intelligence but i might yeah. have that wrong but they accidentally, on a tour of Belfast, an undercover car, drove into an IRA funeral. Yeah. Very quickly, the people in the funeral realised they're British soldiers, so they blocked them in with a taxi, and these guys couldn't get out. One of them pulled his 9 millimetre out, fired, I think, one warning shot, but then accidentally dropped the magazine, which then fell clattered on the floor or fell on the floor of the car. Anyway, slowly, they were overcome by the crowd, dragged out, stripped off and executed, mm. executed on wasteland, a place called Penny Lane, which we used to patrol past regularly. And I think even at the very last minute, one of them tried to make a run for it. Um, yeah. but they, they, You
1: know, they were... Fighting until till the end, but it was another theory was in regards to why why they were attacked, which I can under which I would be able to understand, was that because Michael Stone had attacked the Republican funeral um, at Milltown, hmm. that some Republicans were of the view that when they saw two men in a car, they what they wasn't sure whether that was gonna be a repeat of what had happened in Miltown Cemetery. And that would make sense. That would make sense. Because I can't see how they could have known who those two fellows were. Yes, you could jump to conclusions and say, oh, they must be, you know, undercover police or undercover army or military intelligence. Personally, I I, I would have been more concerned to think that hold on, are these two loyalist paramilitaries, you know, about to, drive into the crowd and, and open up with you know heavy weapons or, or you know grenades or, or whatever I, I could kind of understand that but I know as you're right the official version is is the, um, that it was the fact that they were you know they were army personnel how many republicans were aware of that at the time I'm not sure
0: yeah it was just it was just shocking wasn't it beyond shocking yeah. and and just one incident of many horrific ones during the Troubles and mm. um, on both sides of the divide, obviously.
1: That's why I say it had to come to a stop, didn't it? It, it, it? It's just, it had to come to a stop. You couldn't carry on with that, you know, with that degree of violence and, and, you know, humans doing certain things, humans, it just had to, whatever your views were, whether you thought you were right or you was wrong, it, it had to stop, and, that, and that's why i was saying now that, that you know I, I, I'm looking back on it now. I'm very much an advocate for the police.
0: Yeah, and, and and myself too, and I think a lot of people like have seen a better world like we have. I mean, it, it, you could be like a five-year-old boy whose dad's just been at the pub. Dad's walking back from the pub. He's not not a soldier. He's not a fighter. He's not involved in anything. He's just a hard-working man. A Protestant gang or a Catholic gang can bundle him into the car, haul him off and torture him all night, then slit slit his throat and chuck him out of the car on Wasteland. And that little boy or girl got to live with that shit for the rest of their life.
1: Well, I, I, said in, I said in one of the podcasts, look, it, 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 it's too simple for me to sit here and say, well, my conscience is clear. I haven't killed anybody. But if the police came to me tomorrow and said we've, um, with forensic, you know, modern forensic evidence, we've identified that weapons you'd thought, you know, you'd supplied earlier, one of those has killed uh, a Catholic, you know, not a Republican necessarily. Um, and he had five children. And his uh, his wife had a nervous breakdown. He's six weeks later. His mother died of an heart attack. Well, I'm not going to feel very good about myself, am I? I'm not going to feel very heroic, am I? I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna feel like I've done my bit for the cause, am I? And that's it. But it goes back to that treadmill. You do not think that at the time there. You? you do not think that you're in charge. You're leading your men. And, and, and there's an expectation about you. And if 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 our people are being attacked, if our towns and cities are being blown up, mm. we've got to go and do something about it. You haven't got time to stop and question yourself. You just you just don't. Mm. Um, and look, and that's why now, if I, you know, when I do talks, I make sure I say to people, don't get on that treadmill. Don't get on, or if you're gonna do your own work, you know, question yourself. Why are you getting on it? What are the reasons for it? Is, it? is it your own your own vanity? Is it because people are trusting you? Why are they not getting on it? So this is another question I ask now. Why, is it, why are people so quick to put you on the treadmill? You, know, you don't ask enough questions, do you? You get carried away at the time. You think, oh, you know, I'm the man. They all trust me. They respect me. You don't see the potential damage. Not, not only what you're doing to other people, what you're doing to yourself and I, and I and i recognize that now i can i can see that quite clearly now and uh, whether i go into schools colleges you know university, or prisons you know I, i'm quite comfortable and i'm quite happy to say to people listen don't go down this road you know just do not go try and find another way to do it because people say to me why did you never become political you know why did not you get involved in, in the politics of it well, not you know, I just didn't see that at the time. Look, in hindsight now, I wish I had. I wish I had. I wish I'd used my time and effort, uh, mm. you know, more politically rather than militantly, you know. But, mm. but it's all a learning curve, is it? It's all a learning curve, and if I can pass some of that knowledge on to people now, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm quite happy to do that. Someone said to me recently, uh, you know, Frank, can't you see that to some degree you, you was radicalised? And I, I'm sorry, Chris, I laughed. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. I was the one doing the radicalising. I can see that now. How many of my close friends and associates followed me? Not the cause. How many of them being loyal to me? So I said, this us go and do this. They can't do it. Mm. I've been intrigued to know how many, but actually doing what they would do for a supposed cause. And that's a responsibility and I, and I accept that responsibility and I'm happy to analyze myself and question myself. Mm. And, uh, and, and I can see that and the only, odd scene is I didn't get anybody else killed and I didn't get anybody else imprisoned. Mm. So in that sense, I'm fairly content, but that could have gone wrong. That could have gone wrong. My actions could have got close friends killed or could have got me in prison for a long, long time. Mm. You know? And as I say, I'm, I'm quite able to talk to people now and so say, just, just just, don't do it. And I've, I've, I've just recently um, started a, a website a couple of weeks ago. I've got a website, www.frankportonari.com. And uh, that explains where, you know, 1993, um, I was in Winston Green. You know, i have been arrested in Birmingham. And I was on Category A in Winston Green. Yet in... May 2011, I was a um, state visit in Dublin where the Queen was present. So there's the change, you know, there's the there's the transition where I'd gone from being militant to doing things in the community. I mean, the Queen herself didn't invite me, obviously, <laughs> it would be, you know, but clearly there was um, there was clearance. Someone recognised what I was doing, and it was clearance for me to be able to go. And that was the first time that a royal, a British royal, stepped foot in Dublin for 100 years. It was a very, you know, historical occasion, and, um, and a very surreal one as well. Very surreal.
0: That was fairly recently, wasn't it? In the last couple of it years.
1: 2011, and what it was was to, ah, okay. to remember well. the 50,000 Irishmen who'd fought alongside Britain during um, the First World War, and of course had come back. And been totally ostracised, uh, couldn't get work, couldn't you know f- find places to live, because they fought with the because they fought with the British, and uh, thankfully now because of cross border community groups and and so on, um, was eventually. That, was that the Second World War they fought for? The first. That no, was it was it was the First World War. But, I mean, obviously we fought, we fought together in the Second World War. But it was mainly the First World War. And I say, they were just completely ostracized from society. Mm. And fortunately now, I'm saying it's surreal because you had Irish army, you had British army, you had the Tricolour, you had the union flag, you had both anthems, you had the president of Ireland, you had the queen, Duke of Edinburgh. Mm. Um, yeah, very historical occasion. So from, from a personal point of view, you know, 1993, it's Her Majesty's pleasure uh, in 2011, I'm, I'm getting invited, you know, with a nice embossed card with, you know, Her Majesty would like you to be in in, in Dublin on a certain date. So, uh, yeah, it's been a, a strange journey, that's for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, you've got, you know, you should be proud of you. Proud of you. So- well, I'm sure you are, Frank, you know. It's- well, there's
1: more to go. There's more to go. You know, there's, 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 more, there's more to give yet. And funny enough... Um, a few people have suggested I asked that I do a podcast and I've never had really had the technical skills or the opportunities. And, um, in the last couple of weeks, uh, I'd suggested a guest that I thought was a very, very good guest, uh, to somebody. Um, I had to get in touch with their secretary, if you like, sent a couple of emails and got no response. And, uh, I was a little bit put out, to be quite honest. I'd rather have had, oh, this isn't really somebody that we want or at least a response of some kind. Um, and then that kind of put it in my head, well, do you know what? If you don't want to interview this person, I'll interview them. Mm. And the chap who's, who designed my website um, has, has got the equipment and, uh, and, and has basically made a commitment and... Um, I found a sponsor to help me with the first few episodes. So, uh, frankly speaking, we'll be uh, on air sometime next year. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. you um, give it a go, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's another
1: part of the journey, isn't it? <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, because... Hey, there's it, nothing bad about it. Well, the thing is, you see, if people only know your past, they're, they're going to judge you now on on that past. So people still refer to me as that football hooligan. People still re- refer to me as that right-wing activist. People still refer to me as that loyalist paramilitary. Um, particularly the media. The media just do not let go, and they just regurgitate the same old rubbish. Journalists do the same. People have written books where i have been mentioned in, they've got my name wrong, they've got the sentence wrong. They've said I've had a drugs conviction. They don't come and speak to me. They don't ask, they don't check, you know? And um, that's why I wrote my own book. That's why I wrote my book. I thought, well, you're gonna get the truth from me, one way or the other, you know, the good bits and the not so good bits. Um, And I'm just writing another one now to finish off the story. Uh, to show some of that, that transition.
0: You know? How's, um, how did Sean get involved in that? Is my opportunity. Yes, please do. I was, I I was just going to read the name
1: out. Yeah. I wasn't I was, being rude. It's called, called Left, Right Loyalist, from one extreme to another, which pretty much sums me up because I've gone from one extreme to another. Um, Sean invited me along. And um, it clearly, you know, you've read the book. And uh, from that, um, Sean said to me, um, had I considered doing another book? And I said, yes. He couldn't believe that I didn't have the book on Amazon. He, he, so he said to me, look, um, would you mind if I rebranded it, so to speak? So if you go on Amazon, you'll see that cover, but you won't see that title. Uh, it says loyalist paramilitary gunrunner uh, from extremism to prison. Uh, so he'd be very helpful, Sean, very helpful. Uh, he invited me back again for a second podcast.
0: And then earlier this didn't, year,
1: uh, January, I got invited know. by um, James. Uh, they didn't try
0: and borrow money off you, did they?
1: <laughs> no, no, they didn't, no. no.
0: Yeah, now those two have been responsible for really um, supporting a lot of us, haven't they? You know, yeah, 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 to get our stories out, and and it's a big old thing when you hit one of those big podcasts. Yeah, you know, your life is it, 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 it really helps you on your way. So I've got a, a, a debt of gratitude.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, I think yeah, between them, yeah, they've they've got, they've given me a. A confidence to talk more publicly. Saying that I am um associate member of the um professional speaking association very early days. Uh I've got a very good mentor. He's been he's been guiding me along the way. Um unfortunately of course there's not something there's not been meeting we've had to do everything via Zoom but that in itself is an experience as well. Mm. Um, and I'm fairly confident next year that the, Again, depending on the climate, you know, appreciate companies have obviously got budgets um, and they're probably going to stick to speakers that they know rather than take a gamble on new ones. But saying that, if they want to be new stories um, and, um, you know, new lessons to learn, if you like. Um, and that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm saying to people, like, you know, if you want if you want to listen to different experiences, different stories and, uh, and, uh, and, and learn something from it as well, whether that be, uh, you know, speaking or training sessions or whatever, and I think the podcast will help, I think, to, uh, to sit and talk to people. And again, when I was in prison, I was a listener. So you learn to talk to people, not necessarily advising, but you learn to listen to people. So I'm quite looking forward to throwing the questions out and and wait for people's responses you
0: know so frank people can find your book on amazon Yep. i'm going to put a link below our our video um where else can they find someone wants you to come and speak i'll i'll put that link as as well but what's the company called
1: are you you with an agent ironically i've just started a company and uh i've called it category a um consultancy that's to kind of remind me where I come from, if you like, the mm. category A bit. Um, but certainly it's a reminder where I want to go as well, you know, where I want to arrive at. Um, but, yeah, the, 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 the website will, will explain. What I've done is I've, I've, I've written some articles and every, every article has kind of got a moral to it. And without putting my name to it necessarily, it's clearly about my experiences. Mm. And, um, and most definitely the treadmill Story is, uh, is is on there, and that's what I'm saying to people. Look, you know, um, I believe I can come along and give real life stories, you know, real life experiences, um, and and hopefully, you know, people will take something from it, and uh, it'll be a benefit to them. You know? Yeah, well, undoubtedly, un- undoubtedly, it,
0: it will. Yeah. Well, Frank, thank you ever so much for.
1: Joining us? No, no, thank you. No, thank you. Because it's part of my—it's it, part of my learning curve, to be quite honest. Yeah, um, if I can help you with a
0: podcast, just let me know. No, I appreciate that. Be I'd correct. love to—I'd love to come and chat to you then. Uh, <laughs> I you can did. relax. I can relax a bit then. <laughs> did I, you just, I didn't even ask, did I? You see, you just committed yourself. There, you see? That's part of my technique, <laughs> mate. You got to get him. Get 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 in early yeah (laughs) so frank just just stay on the line i'll say a proper thank you when we stop recording um so massive thank you again
1: thank
0: you good luck keep uh you know keep going into the light isn't it for us guys
1: Yeah. yeah
0: to everybody at home massive love to you all look after yourselves if you could like and subscribe i'd really appreciate it and see you soon